0: ICOs or initial coin offerings were like the coolest new way to raise money until the man stepped in, or specifically the MAS or the Monetary Authority of Singapore which is now putting down regulations to try to control this new way for companies to raise money using digital tokens. Today on Digfin Vox, we speak once again to James DiBiazio, Editor-in-Chief of Digital Finance Media, to discuss Singapore's efforts to control this form of crowdfunding. Thanks for joining us today, Jayme. Uh First things first, what is an ICO for all of the listeners out there who may not be familiar with it?
1: Okay, so basically, this is something that's emerged in the past couple of years, where uh, startups are combining Kickstarter-like um, crowdfunding with um, with what could be construed as like a, an equity origination or a securities origination model. Uh, it's all digital. It's it's mostly usually using um, Ethereum. Uh, as opposed to other cryptocurrencies as the mode of exchange, and instead of having to go through the traditional process of raising, whether it's venture capital or take it to another step, uh, raising um, uh, raising equity as, as like doing an IPO, which was which would require you know the all either one of those would require a, a lot of work.
0: Regulatory uh, paperwork
1: lawyers. Yeah, Screw screw. You know that uh, but also but even without the regulation it still requires, you know, there's a whole process about I mean, a VC is going to be very scrupulous theoretically about what they're investing. They're wanna, they want to they want to see a track record. They want to see revenues or at least they want to understand the business. You know, they're, they're supposed to be professionals who take their time to analyze companies for the portfolio. Uh, and then beyond that, going to the actual capital markets, you know, you have to hire uh, an investment banker to underwrite it for you and distribute it, and then right. they've got to get out to you know. So
0: and to a certain this, extent, like when when you're buying into an IPO, one of the things you're buying in addition to the securities themselves is the the you know the fact that it's been vetted by regulators right. and, and lots of other people, right?
1: Correct. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole trust around. If I buy something on the stock exchange, there's a certain level of trust I have that you know things are being. Done appropriately, and that these companies have a, have a minimum level of quality to them. With an ICO, you have no idea really. I mean, what they do is they issue a white paper. It's like an academic paper that outlines a business case, and it will also outline the mathematics of how they are issuing a token that will have some kind of sort of like a currency or like potentially like a security. It will have, it'll have a store of value within the ecosystem of the business that's being created so and, and and these could be traded or used for either buying the services of this company or to own the company uh or or other other uh, economic activities so these have been building the first one was done in 2013 i believe by ripple which is a, a distributed ledger development software company
0: mm-hmm.
1: and at the time uh, these were well. They're still pretty exotic, but the past year has seen an absolute mushrooming of these things because both legitimate startups with really cool ideas looking for funding have been in a mix with people that are really out to get rich quick, and a lot of investors have jumped on the, you know, the, the bubble, the bandwagon, and have been pouring money into these things. Pro- often, one can assume often not really understanding the, the business behind it, having no clue really about how the proceeds are meant to be used other than a few vague promises set out in this white paper. And the white paper's got no legal, uh, very little legal bearing. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not, not a contract. By, it's not a contract. Right. No, it's, a, it's, a, it's a business idea.
0: So uh, do we have any, I mean... I'm assuming, you know, obviously you'll never you'll never have lunch in this town again, as they say, if you do this. But, I mean, is there anything to prevent the founders from taking the dough and going to a non extradition nah. country?
1: There's nothing to prevent that. In fact, there's concerns. A big reason why the Monetary Authority of Singapore is now trying to put some regulation around these is they are concerned that ICOs are a very easy way for terrorists to obtain financing, for corrupt uh, people to launder money.
0: Right. And uh, I guess it's probably not the most opportune time, but I, I should mention that uh, Digfin, Digfin Vox uh, will be launching its own ICL. Uh, <laughs>
1: that's right. And, and, and uh, raising and
0: 15 zillion, tri- zillion, 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 yeah.
1: Digfin tokens, that's right.
0: Tokens, and we will be the first uh, a podcast-delivered white paper going right. to use the money to make money. Got to use the money to make money. Um I mean, I'm joking, but uh you got to you interviewed Jonathan Lee, uh, co-founder of 300 cubits. and uh, I can't help but notice that uh, the the ark um Noah's ark was was 300 cubits uh long in according to the Old Testament which uh, might suggest that uh, a flood is coming, or, or is uh, do I have this yeah. reference wrong? Um,
1: well, I think they're, they're, we're in a flood right now when it comes to ICO activity. And don't get me wrong; I mean, there's a lot of amazing, very positive things about ICOs and the potential they have yeah, to yeah. to provide you know to provide capital to startups that need it, to cut out a little bit of that middleman, uh, and to be more efficient. And the what interests me as as a financial journalist is. At what point does this start to attract uh, businesses other than, than startup tech companies? Um, but a reference to uh, 300 Cubis, so I spoke with him because he is a, he and his partner are also ex-bankers of longstanding uh, experience doing a startup. Their startup is not really, t- I wouldn't technically call it a, a FinTech. Uh, it's it's really more about, they're, it's focused on the shipping industry and it's fascinating. Ah. Uh, they're using, but they're gonna do an ICO, and the, the reason I spoke with him is, A, just to understand how this works a bit better, but also, they've, they're they based in Hong Kong, and they've been very careful to make sure that their ICO is not gonna fall afoul of financial securities regulation. So what that means is, a lot of these ICOs, the tokens that they create in the process of raising money, uh, can be used to either deliver some share of ownership in the company to whoever holds them, or can guarantee or can serve as a claim on future business revenues. Mm. You know, so it's. I mean, like, really, they,
0: can it represent anything? I mean, can can it be like yes. a discounted service offering for? Well, that's that's that,
1: okay. So that's that's the interesting. That's the difference here. So, if it's in the former cases, this would look, smell, and Pretty much be the equivalent of a security. It's either an equity or a bond, It's providing either income from the revenue stream or it's uh, and it's or it's ownership of the, of the business. And the MAS is saying, if this is what you do, we're going to treat this as if it's a security. It's going to fall under our securities law, and therefore you'd have to get yourself a license, you'd have to get yourself a prospectus, and we would treat you maybe not exactly the same, but we would but you would fall under that remit what 300 qubits and other companies are doing, if they don't want to use their tokens in that manner, there are other ways to generate revenue and provide something back to those revenue holders that are not like a form of ownership or a security. And in their case, they would be offering people, uh, you can use these tokens to, instead of paying US dollars to book shipping containers, you could use the tokens. Um, and they're trying to create an ecosystem in which that will become possible and attractive to certain types of players in in their world. The use of the token is not for the sake of owning their company or a claim on their revenue as a business. What it is is more like a coupon, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, more like the Kickstarter model uh, where I want to uh, I, I want to sell subscriptions to my 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 website or I want to, uh, I, I want to, I'm going to make widgets and I, I want people to help, help me finance my widget business and in return I'll give you um, the ability to, to get discounted widgets or I'll give you free widgets but you're paying me. So it's, it's more like a business transaction underlying, it's like a coupon service or a rebate hmm. rather than a, uh, you know, you're providing a service uh, rather than you're then providing a security In the business,
0: most of the stuff that I see on Kickstarter is option to buy a product that doesn't exist yet, or first in line to buy a product, or you know some kind of of perk. But I mean, if you're selling shipping container space at a future date, that sounds a lot like a call option to me, right? Because you're you're it's an option to buy an asset at an agreed upon price. Well, it's really an asset. You're just
1: you're just buying a service. You're just you're booking. You're it's like a pre booking. It's like you know. Mm -hmm. you're, you're you're booking uh, seats at the movie theater uh, by by giving the movie theater operator money up front rather than uh, ra- rather than when you go book it later, and maybe you'll get a discount if you do it that way. Mm-hmm. So Got it. it's not you're, you know you're not you're not sharing in the proceeds of the business. You're just buying a service in advance. Got it.
0: Got it. Um... Just like
1: so. So that so these are two different things. So if you're doing the tokens as just a, a coupon or, or a, a service, then it's not a security in any, you know, there's nothing that makes it look like a, a stock or a bond, and therefore it will not be regulated, uh, but not by securities regulators. Uh, there there could be, you know, police regulation against uh, fraud, but that's a, that's a non-financial is, uh, issue. Um, but a lot of these ICOs have been promising things that look like securities, look more like equity or debt and in singapore now those will then have to go through a a prospectus with lawyers and all that stuff and that's like any
0: other sale of securities would be yeah
1: yeah to some extent i mean there might be nobody knows nobody there haven't been any test cases uh you know these these guidelines came out on august 1st uh and which is in my time zone yesterday nobody nobody knows how this will actually play out yet um it's 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 completely virgin territory, but it's, it's the start of something. And I think it's, uh, you know, it's going to be positive to, to start laying down some markers around what defines a quality ICO that people should be able to trust and, and, and uh, versus trying to get rid of the stuff that, um, authorities don't want in their, in their market.
0: Uh, question though, if we're, if they're issuing digital credits, presumably to a global offering, on a global network, and they just happen to be domiciled in Singapore. I mean, like, how do they how do regulators effectively regulate
1: them? Yeah. Okay. That's a very good question. And I don't know exactly. I think what will happen, though, is, first of all, the companies do have to be domiciled somewhere. And so that's going to be one issue. I mean, when 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 there's an ICO, it's pretty public, everybody knows about it. And so you know i don't think you want to base yourself in a jurisdiction like singapore and then completely ignore regulation uh, regulation. yeah i don't (laughs) think i definitely don't recommend that uh but uh more practically what the mas said uh in its guideline was that they would also uh, uh throw the net around platforms facilitating secondary trading of of cryptocurrencies so Market operators, uh, wall, digital wallet businesses, exchange businesses—these also have to have a domicile somewhere. And you know, these are these are businesses with real people in them, and uh, you know, ex- digital exchanges and so on. And if they want to uh, trade uh, these ICOs after they exist, then they're going to have to also. Uh, uh, there's going to be some additional reporting and, and supervision around that. I think so. Uh, you know, there, there will be. There will be more regulation, and I think it's still early days. And I don't think we're going to be seeing, uh, you know, this isn't going to. I think this is actually quite positive for for ICOs. It will start to uh, create Give them some legitimacy, right? Give them legitimacy. If you, you know, if we don't know yet what it will look like, that leap from issuing a white paper as a startup with basically just a clever idea to doing a prospectus with lawyers where you have to put in a lot of stuff about the company, your track record, financials. Um, how that's going to work, we don't know. Uh, there's probably going to be some trial and error. and But there's going to be some companies that will try to make that at some point. And they might then be able to attract uh, a higher quality type of investor as well. And maybe this will lead the way toward a more institutionalized version of this where Uh, more mainstream investors might start to take a look at this. And maybe one day, mainstream businesses will also start to use these tools for their own capital raising purposes.
0: Now, I take it, um, you know, given the fact that Singapore has started to put these regs in place, uh, Hong Kong has probably announced like, we're the Wild West, move here, we're not going to do anything, right?
1: No, no. I mean, Hong Kong. Um, Hong Kong has taken a different approach philosophically toward cryptocurrencies. That might change, but for the for the time being, Hong Kong, like the United States, uh, has decided that to treat these as commodities rather than as currencies. Whereas Singapore decided early on that they're going to treat them like a currency. The reason I think that they took this commodity position and therefore they're not being regulated like a security in any way is that initially, the only game in town was Bitcoin. Bitcoin was the original, and, uh, and for a long time, it was the only major one. And Bitcoin is a like, it's like gold, and so people think of it in that sense, and I think that's where this idea of commodity came through. You know, gold is a shiny metal that has value just because human beings decide that it's got value. You know, you can't eat it, you can't do, you know, you can't use it to make anything else. But, you know, since time immemorial, we've decided that gold is worth something. Uh, Bitcoin could be like that. It exists really just for its own sake. doesn't do anything else. Um, and so it's sort of got that, you know, it, it's, it's got similar qualities in, in that respect. However, other cryptocurrencies have emerged since then, particularly Ethereum, which the the concept behind Ethereum and the blockchain that supports it is far more. Uh, it, it's designed to be a- applied for all kinds of things, including by by big enterprises. Uh, it's it's not trying to be gold. It's trying to be much more uh, practical and adaptable for all kinds of things. And so this has fueled the ICO boom. Everybody wants to do it in Ethereum because Ethereum comes with smart contracts. You could do a lot more with the. Ether, the underlying cryptocurrency, um, much more flexible. And most of the ICOs, the, the transaction, the medium of, of exchange to buy the tokens that are being created is with Ethereum. And this has gone hand-in-hand hand with a huge rise in Ethereum's value. So uh, now, and there's others, uh, others uh, such as Ripple's uh, X, XGP and so on. So there's there's a whole bunch of these now beginning to emerge, Ethereum is probably the new big big daddy when it comes to using cryptocurrencies for for things other than just uh, enjoying them for their own sake.
0: Well, uh, super exciting! Uh, it, it seems definitely early days, but there's so many applications here. What what are the uh, developments that you're keeping your eye on? What, when what should we be looking out for?
1: Well, I think. Uh, In the case of other jurisdictions, are they going to follow what Singapore has done? I think Hong Kong probably will come up with some version of this, too. They also will, you know, they compete very strongly and they want to be a a quality marketplace. Uh, And that may or may not require them to review how they treat cryptocurrencies if, you know, they might decide that they are securities. But Hong Kong has existing securities law. Uh, Some things like crowdfunding already are deemed to, to... uh, equity crowdfunding in Hong Kong is basically illegal uh, because it's too much like a security unless you uh, do it only for accredited professional investors. So there's no retail crowdfunding in Hong Kong. It's possible that ICOs will then be um, recategorized and, and end up in a similar issue. The question in Hong Kong is also the Hong Kong Stock Exchange uh, is trying to set up boards, new boards to attract both fintech startup type IPOs at a small level, as well as a private market, uh, which initially looked like it was competing with venture capital. I think maybe when they were cons- you know conceiving this, but increasingly you have to wonder if the ICO market might re- might be the main competitor to that. So, is there going to be a role from a business point of view? What the you know how is the exchange going to try to? Um, deal with with this new competitor really and i think that's not that's true for many exchanges not just hong kong but hong kong's got an immediate issue mm. um and and then the, the big question in singapore is who's going to be able to start bringing these icos in a more if, if they want to use them as securities will anybody first of all attempt this or will they all do what like 300 qubits does and and avoid their ICO having security like characteristics uh, or will somebody go to singapore and say well i'm going to do it as security and i'm going to go for the high quality you know gold star um star of stamp of approval and 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 what will that look like and what has to go in that prospectus um that will be you know very interesting and um probably will take some time before we we, we get to see something like that 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 everybody agrees is okay and, and is a success
0: well, I've got more questions, but I think we're out of time. Uh, thank you very much, James. Uh, please, Thanks, we'll Dave. We'll be following this closely as, uh, as this story develops. If you'd like to learn more about Singapore's efforts to regulate ICOs, you can read the full article at the Ditchfin website at www.digitalfinancemedia.com. The articles are free, but you have to register. I'm your host, David Schweifler. When I'm not hosting this podcast, I work at Scisense, a disruptive business intelligence technology provider that sits at the crossroads of artificial intelligence, machine learning, and the internet of things. If you enjoyed this week's podcast, please leave us a good review and share it on social media so your friends can find it too. This is Ditchfin Vox.